following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, May 22nd at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Let me extend my welcome to those joining us today for the first time as well. It is, uh, it's good to have you here. My name is my name is Shelby, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, and it's good to be back up here. Um, I'll be getting my um, uh, preaching legs back underneath me um, today, so thank you for bearing with me. Um, I know some of you are eager for an update on my health, and I promise to give you an update as we go forward this morning, but uh, for right now, I want to jump in to our text for today, as it's a text that's both relevant for me and my health, uh, as well as for you and your health. Uh, So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 90. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, If you were here with us last week, Robert concluded our series on Genesis, and he ended in Psalm 90 with, with with Moses working through his his, his own mortality, his own finiteness. And, and for the next three weeks, you're going to be stuck with me as we take a deep dive not only into this psalm, uh, but two others from the 90s. Not, not, not the years, but uh, psalm, the Psalm 90s. Uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 90, Psalm 94, and 99 together. Uh, and Yes, you laugh, but I couldn't help in my weird brain to draw specific parallels uh, with those years from the 90s, so you'll probably get some of those reflections as we progress the next few weeks. You know, what was Shelby doing in the 90s, and generally just what was going on in the, in the world, so we will have some fun with that. Um, but I am, generally, I am generationally what our culture calls Generation X. Any others in this room? Generation X. Really, I thought there would be more. I thought there would be more. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> um, I was born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, and sort of um, a developmentally came into my own in the 90s. Um, in the 80s, I was a latchkey kid, which meant I came home from school every day to an empty house as both of my parents were working. Uh, my surrogate dads were Optimus Prime and He-Man, Every afternoon between three and four. And by 1990, I was a freshman in high school. Uh, That's me in my yearbook in 1990. Uh, I was in band at school, and I also uh, played soccer and football, because we were in Texas, you had to play football. Uh, it was, it was a, um, a rite of passage. I had come to know Jesus probably about two years prior to this, but to be honest, the, the things of God had, had little interest for me at this time. But what else is going on in 1990 just throughout our broader culture? Well, a really big one, the Berlin Wall came down. Around June of that year, the Berlin Wall began to officially come down. That that whole tear down that wall speech had actually happened the year before, but the wall officially came down in 1990. Uh, Anyone remember the number one movie from that year? It featured Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, Whoopi Goldberg. That's right, I heard it somewhere. Ghost. It had people talking about the afterlife. Um, anyone want to hazard a guess at some of the number one songs from that year? 
There were a few. Uh, we got um, a Sinead O'Connor crooning Nothing Compares to You, which was actually a, um, a Prince song, if you didn't know, but she, but, but she recorded it first. And that dominated most of the year, followed by an uh, Ice Cold Jim by this vanilla rapper. Um, that was in the fall of that year. But there was also a song from the 70s that made a resurgent and introduced a generation to a new dance phenomenon. Anyone know? That's right. A remixed electric boogie made a comeback and introduced a generation to the electric slide. I promise no more of that. Um, but really, for our purposes this morning, uh, also that year, Time Magazine published an article in July of that year called Living, Proceeding with Caution. And it was a culmination of a few years of sociological research on Generation X specifically. And in it, 1990 was dubbed the birth of the slacker. Now, I know uh, some of you are saying, well, you know, we had slackers in my day, uh, you know, so I'm not here to argue that this morning. I certainly don't think we invented the slacker, but we did perfect it, I will say. Um, and in this article, it, it described young adults in their 20s, as aimless and unfocused. Media would portray them as the fringe generation, rather, rather self-involved, bleak, um, apathetic, and sort of lacking their bearings. And the article would go on to state that 18 to 29-year-old Gen Xers exhibited higher levels of cynicism and disaffection than previous cohorts of 18 to 29-year-olds. Now that sounds bad, but wait, it gets way worse, because the same study also found that cynicism and disaffection had increased among all age groups. This wasn't just me and my generation. This was a time of real dis discontent, a time of disaffected, aimless frustration. I just wish there was some way we could relate to that today. And this is just one of the reasons that these psalms from the 90s are important for us today. Um, if you didn't know, the psalms are made up of five books. And just like a sort of a, um, a modern-day hymn book, these prayers or songs have been arranged in a particular order, probably by the prophet Ezra. Uh, they're not arranged chronologically. They're not arranged by author. They're actually arranged thematically. And book four has been arranged to answer some of the questions brought up at the end of book three. Now, book three is filled with a lot of um, a lament, and it ends with a very disaffected Israel, probably still in exile, asking a lot of questions. They aren't in their land anymore. The Davidic dynasty has seemingly been cut short, and they're starting to wonder can God's promises even come true? So like any good TV series or book, what you get at the end of Psalm 89 is a cliffhanger of sorts. Just listen to this. This is the end of Psalm 89. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. 
For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen, amen. Do you hear those big questions in there? Where? Why? How long? Who? Big pains, large on lament and longing. So the Psalms we're going to look at the next few weeks deal with these big questions. How long does God's wrath last? Does God understand how, just how frail we are? Is God true to his nature of righteousness, justice, unfailing love, and faithfulness? Is God just in not taking vengeance against his enemies? I mean, if we're honest, we see people around, all around us today openly mocking the things of God. So why doesn't God do anything about it? And finally, do all of these questions undermine God's ability to rule? And as relevant as these psalms are to this cynical and disaffected Gen Xer, they are equally as relevant to all of us today. A cynical, disaffected, frail people coming out of a time of prolonged isolation. And the Psalm 90s give us reassuring answers to these questions, or at least they give us uh, answers that we need to trust. And our guide today in Psalm 90 is the same guide that we've had the past few months in Genesis, Old Man Moses, which would make it one of the oldest psalms in this book. So if you just think about the life of Moses, this is a Moses who has seen his sister, his sister Miriam die. He's seen his brother Aaron die. And God probably just told him that he will not be entering the promised land. A Moses who has probably spent about 40 years isolated in the desert with a bunch of angry and grumbling people. I wish he could somehow relate to us today. And, and again, this psalm, this ta- psalm is talking about death, which makes it relevant to everyone sitting in this room. As Robert reminded us last week, we will all die. It's not something we like to think about, so we generally avoid it as much as possible, but we need to think about it. We need to hear what God's word says about it. I want to have a complete peace in my heart when I consider it or talk about it with my family. And today we get to hear from our wise sage Moses. So, so this should give it just a little bit extra weight and make us sit up and pay attention. So, so let me pray for us one more time together before we jump in. Father, um, thank you that you have spoken to us in your word, about everything that pertains to our life and our godliness. And I ask that you would open our minds this morning, open our ears, open our hearts, steady us in your word. 
as we consider a topic about which many of us are reluctant to think about. God, we need your truth. We need your word. We need your wisdom. So we look to you today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This entire psalm, I'm just going to give you my my outline right here from the beginning. This entire psalm can be summed up with two simple outline points. One, ready? Life is really short. That's the first half of this chapter. No matter your age today, that's what God wants you to hear from Psalm 90. Got it? Second point, live wisely. Verse 12 tells all of us, no matter your age, to get a heart of wisdom. Now, obviously those two points should make us want to dig in a little deeper and ask some questions, which is what we're going to do with this text. Questions like, why is life really short? What does it mean to live wisely? So let's get started here. Let's dig into these for a moment. This psalm opens with a reminder of what God is like. He says in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses wants us to remember that God is our dwelling place. If you call yourself a Christian today, you should find comfort and security and assurance in the fact that you are found in God. And this should be especially comforting if your current circumstances are challenging. Our refuge is found in God himself, not in where we live, not in our checking account balance, and not even in our health. Refuge is not a place that we can run to or fashion for ourselves. God is our dwelling place no matter what our circumstance takes us. We live in him. God wants us to know that, to deeply know that, to experientially know that. However, this isn't actually what Moses is trying to emphasize here. This part's actually a given for him, and it should be a given for us. What he's actually emphasizing here is the in all generations part. Moses is marveling at God's eternal unchangeableness, if that's even a word. So should we. For me and other cynical Gen Xers, for my boomer parents, for my grandparents' greatest generation, as far back as we can reach, It's also true going the other way. God will be a refuge for my, what is it today, Gen Z? For my Gen Z kids, for their children, and for every generation to come. And this actually becomes clearer in verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting You are God. Now, it's important for us to see the emphasis here at the very beginning. Why? Because it leads to the reason why Moses is even writing this in the first place. His purpose is to confront us with our mortality. Just listen to the flow here as I read these first three verses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. Do you see the contrast being drawn here? Immutable, eternal, unchanging God. Very mortal man. And then in verse 4 through 6, he proceeds to unpack that very point, which is really his main point here. And we, we looked at this last week. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers, as, as Robert reminded us Last week, even if you were to live a thousand years, that is still just like a day in God's sight. In fact, it's less than a day. It's like a brief three-hour watch in the night. But Moses goes on here in verse 5 and 6. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. And to further drive that home, if you just skip down to verse 10, he even reminds us how long we actually live. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Hopefully, you are getting the point here. We, we are not everlasting. We are mortal. Our lives are really short, and then we return to the ground that we came out of. I'm 46 years old. I'm officially over that age hump where, I can, where I'm probably closer to the end of my life than I am to the beginning. And it hasn't been very long. And I don't think many of you my age or older would argue this. I, I feel it. I feel it more as life passes. I'm, I am returning to dust. Life is short, and I'm going to die one day. But this raises an interesting question. Why? Why is it this way? Why are our lives so short? Well, this next chunk of verses... Uh, actually tells us, verses 7 through 11. And let me just say, these, these are not easy verses. They are not easy to understand, and even if you do understand them, they are not easy to accept. Just listen to these, verses 7 through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Then it ends with this question. Who considers the power of your anger? And your wrath according to the fear of you. Now, these, these verses could be easy to misunderstand. When verse 7 says, we are brought to an end by your anger, this is not 
talking about God's, God's active anger. God is not some hungry toddler pitching a fit. This is talking about a, a decision, a settled judgment that God has made in his righteousness. The result of which is the brevity of our lives. And there's actually a clue to this back in verse 3 whenever it says, you return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man. Or, thinking back to the series we just finished, which had the same author, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Moses is very clearly alluding to Genesis 3 here, which he probably wrote about the same time as this prayer. So what does he have in mind as he's writing this? Well, he has in mind here that curse in Genesis 3, which was God's righteous judgment on Adam for his sin. And we see that echoed in verse 10. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. That's that's the language of God's righteous judgment in response to man's sin. That's why there's that reference to sin in verse 8. Do you see how that explains verse, verse 7? We're brought to an end by your anger. In verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. Our mortality, the shortness of our life, is a result of God's judgment and the consequence to our sin. And this explains the question of verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In other words, who thinks about this? Who, who makes this connection? I have never in my life had anyone come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Shelby, I'm experiencing the wrath of God as my life moves towards its end. And yet, that's exactly what, this, what Psalm 90 is telling us is happening. The righteousness of God is being revealed against all mankind in their unrighteousness. And part of that is the brevity of our lives. This is not something that we normally, um, uh, not something that we normally um, uh, equate together. Our mortality, God's sovereignty, his power, and his judgment. But this is what the text is telling us. The shortness of our life, those 70 or 80 years, if that, is the result of God's just judgment on the human race due to our sin. Our lives, whether long or short, will come to an end because of God's judgment. Death is not some benign inevitability or a natural part of the world. Death is the judgment of God. Our sins, even when hidden, demand God's righteous response. And since Adam ate that forbidden fruit, death has been God's righteous judgment on mankind.
Moses is, Moses is ruminating here on the fallenness of the world. We entered the world as God's enemies, and unless he intervenes and grants us life from above, we will continue to provoke him to anger. Who considers the power of your anger? Is this something you consider? Is this something you think about? Do you consider the power of God's anger towards your sin, however small you think it is? Do you consider and learn from God's judgment on you and the rest of humankind? Life is short. It's unnaturally short. This isn't the way it was originally meant to be, and we feel it. And it's important that we come to terms with this truth soon. As our life on this, on this spinning mud ball is short. And this, this is the devastating truth of the first half of Psalm 90, which is summed up there in verse 12. So teach us to number our days. That sums up those first, first um, uh, 11 verses. However, all is not lost. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We need to live our short lives wisely. And I'll be very uh, transparent with you. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with this verse. If you've been around here for any length of time, you know that we regularly trot this verse out to use, you know, for our um, Ash Wednesday service or, or during Lent with our Sunday morning services. Um, uh, thematically, it fits with those seasons, and it's, and it's a great confessionary prayer. But have you ever stopped to consider what it is you are asking God to do whenever you read or you pray that? Well, I have. And it gives me pause to even do it again today. I have used this in, I've used this in um, a liturgies. I've prayed this prayer numerous times over the years. And on Wednesday, February 26, 2020, God saw fit to answer that prayer for me. On that day around 11.30 a.m., I got the news that I had been diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. I got that news right before I had to come out here for our Ash Wednesday service and pray that prayer. So don't tell me God doesn't answer prayers. That's a cancer joke. I give you permission to laugh. I'm sorry. And this verse has been clanging around in my head for the past two years. It's a passage of scripture that I've kept coming back to. This along with some of the other psalms from the 90s that we will look at in the coming weeks. Got me through over a year of, over a year of chemotherapy, radiation, and um, ultimately a stem cell transplant. And just so I don't have to keep you in, just so I don't have to keep you in um, a suspense any longer, 
I am doing better. <laughs> uh, I, I met with my doctor last Monday, and after my latest round of tests, I'm still in, I'm still in um, a remission, and the stem cells from my probably German donor, uh, who I've dubbed Hans, uh, are, st- are still firmly in control of my new um, uh, immune system. So, all praise to God. <laughs> but, but what continues to ring around in my head is not the teach us to number our days part. Again, if I'm being honest, that part's actually been settled for me quite literally. My days have been numbered. And this has been settled with Moses here as well, as he's just restating what he's already said. But just like in verse 1, the emphasis is not on what is, the emphasis on this verse is really what the rest of it says. And this is what haunts me. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We should want to live our short lives wisely. Life is too short not to. Everything is at stake for us in this short life. I mean, as we've witnessed this past week, your life is like that. It's here and then it's gone. It's here and then you have an incurable blood cancer. And that should make you ask, why am I here? What is my life for? How should I live? And guess what? You need wisdom to answer all of those questions. And this verse is not talking about some human wisdom. It's God's wisdom that he's speaking of, being in, re- in right relationship with him. Him being your refuge and dwelling place for eternity. Having an eternal perspective towards what really matters and how to live our lives with God's eternal plans in mind. This is the definition of wisdom, to live life with God in mind. While I was in the hospital for long stretches, um, um, a few people sent me some Funko Pop figures. You're probably familiar with these. They're sort of quasi-bobbleheads. Um, they sent me these just, just sort of, you know, brighten up that stale, that stale hospital room. Um, but I also ended up getting a few for myself for a very specific reason. Again, I'm, I'm weird this way. I'm sorry. But... Um, they helped prompt me to pray these Funko Pop figures. Uh, As you can imagine, I had a lot of things (laughs) to pray about, and I wanted to place some tangible items in my eyesight to help prompt me to pray for certain things. I ended up calling them um, prayer pops. Um, And these are actually two of them right here. Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Um, I'll introduce some of my other figures the next two weeks. Um, but these, these two were a constant reminder of how I should live in light of the death sentence that I had just, I had just received. They reminded me of the wisdom I and those around me <laughs> needed. They reminded me to find my satisfaction, my refuge, my eternal hope 
in God. And they prompted me to pray along those lines of asking for wisdom. You see, I, I, I grew up watching those two characters on, on Saturday morning cartoons. And you see um, a carnivorous vulgaris here. Coyote. He's the everyman. He's you and I. Um, uh, reflecting our futile struggles in this life to obtain satisfaction. The, the roadrunner is not truly something, something tangible, but he represents the unattainable, a satisfaction that I know exists yet continually eludes my grasp. If you've seen the cartoon, you know the coyote is obsessed with catching the roadrunner, certain that he will be sated and complete. He employs his body to no avail. And then he resorts to using his mind to cook up these um, uh, elaborate schemes. He then turns to science. He turns to technological superiority. But they all fail to bring him his desired end. Indeed, um, uh, acme just seems to exist purely as a form of um, a systemic evil, promising better results through technology, yet only exchanging the coyote's simple problems for far more complex ones. His efforts, his goals, they never satiate his hunger. I hope I'm not the only one that has experienced that fruitless chase to fill some sort of longing in my life. But seeing these two characters on a regular basis in front of me was and is a constant reminder to pray and to thank God for his steadfast, that his steadfast love has never left me. And he continued to pursue me even as I was chasing the wind like, like Coyote did. I needed that wisdom then, and I still need this wisdom. And moving on from verse 13 to the end of this chapter is Moses pleading with God for some specific things. After, after meditating on God's unchanging eternal character, after, after meditating on his own frail mortality in light of the wrath of God, after asking God for wisdom in the short time he has on this earth, what we then have are five petitions to God. Prayers that actually help us see what the beginning of this wisdom might look like. And with the time we have left here, um, I just want to walk through these petitions and leave you with uh, a few very personal reflections on the kind of wisdom that we need today. I tried to summon my inner Mark Becton here, and I, got, I even got all um, alliterative for you too. So... Um, listen to verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. We need wisdom for our allegiances in this world. We were created to serve the Lord. And it is impossible for us to not serve somebody. As Bob Dylan famously sang about, you're going to have to serve somebody. 
Moses identifies himself as the Lord's servant, and he cries out for mercy. Do something, God. You see, in, in, in our humanity, in our, in our brokenness, we are a bundle of physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual needs. And often these needs go on for a long time, pressing us to ask, how long? In prolonged moments of need, prolonged quarantines, prolonged health issues, prolonged struggles, wisdom seeks God. Wisdom seeks God. Instead of looking to government, to work, to friends, or our checking accounts. First, wisdom aligns itself with God and seeks his mercy in our times of need. Numbering our days should teach us not to play around with other weak and other fickle providers. Instead, we should seek the Lord for his mercy first, knowing that all good gifts even some of those that come from human means, ultimately come from our Father in heaven. Let me keep going. We need wisdom for our appetites. O Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. You see, human nature dictates that we live to satisfy our longings, if you haven't figured that out already. Blaise Pascal once famously said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Even the man who seeks to take his own life is seeking to satisfy his desire for happiness. So the question for us today is, where do you seek satisfaction? We need to be satisfied by God every day. And wisdom comes in seeking his promises and his love every morning, every day. I'll say that again. Wisdom comes in seeking his promises and his love every morning, every day. We have to enter the day with our eyes set on God so that his loving kindness will simply fill our hearts. The alternative is to enter the day with a hungry soul. And a hungry soul will always seek satisfaction in idols. Or worse, YouTube. The greatest way to fight idolatry is to feast on the Lord and his faithfulness. Next, we need wisdom for our afflictions. Verse 15, O Lord, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. I'm going to say this a few times because it's, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Dwelling under the wrath of God in a fallen world, it should come as no surprise that we experience affliction. 
dwelling under the wrath of God in a fallen world, it should come as no surprise that we experience affliction. And as Christians, our troubles are multiplied because we live in a world that is no longer our own. And the enemies of God are our enemies too. As citizens of a future kingdom, tribulation is the norm. I know that's hard. We are citizens of a future kingdom. Tribulation is going to be the norm right now. And so with this in mind, what does Moses ask for? Joy. For a gladness that matches the number of days that he's been afflicted. For us today, I believe that this repayment of gladness for affliction is even greater. While none of us are guaranteed material comfort on this earth for our afflictions, the resurrection of Christ promises that all who trust in Christ will be raised with Christ. Eternally. Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And we can pray with confidence that whatever afflictions we have now will be as nothing compared to the kingdom Jesus is bringing when he returns. Till then... Wisdom dictates that we keep this future reality, this future hope, on the forefront of our noodles. Wisdom dictates that we keep this future hope always on our brain, always on our tongue. And I can tell you from experience, this kind of hope tempers the pain we may be experiencing now. It helps turn us away from the immediate satisfaction of lesser pleasures. It gives us strength to live for God, whether we have cancer or COVID or have been kept virus and cancer-free. Let's keep going. We need wisdom for our affections. O Lord, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Moses' prayer here teaches us to look to the Lord and his works. If our focus is self-centered, if our relationship with God looks to him to bolster and improve our works, you will ultimately be disappointed. As Moses himself learned, God does not always give us what we want even if it's a good thing. Moses' story actually tells us this. He did not get to enter the promised land. Like Abraham before him, longing for his inheritance. Like Elijah after him, longing for revival. Moses was one of the countless saints who died with a longing in their hearts. Yet he doesn't pray for his own success. He prays to see God's glorious works displayed through all generations. And I I know I could spend a lot of time here, 
Let me just say this. God loves to reveal his glory to those who ask for it in faith. Christianity is not a system of self-actualization. With God on my side, I can do all things. Rather, it's a belief system that calls individuals to die to their dreams and desires so that they arise with the hope of Christ's glory preeminent in their hearts. Wisdom, therefore, leads us to place our affections in the work that God is doing, whether that's in comfort or that's in suffering. Finally, this morning, we need wisdom for our activities. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses' final petition here teaches us to hold our work lightly. While God's works are perfect in power and eternal in their efficacy, ours are not. In fact, if anything here goes well with our works, it's only by his grace. Again, living under the wrath of God should cause us to be the most humble and grateful of people when good things happen. Yes, we shouldn't be surprised that God manifests his goodness to those who take refuge in him. But when he permits us to accomplish our goals, we should count it a gift of his gracious mercy, not something he owes us. Moses, mighty in word and deed, had to learn humility. And part of that humility can be seen in this verse. He did not treat his works as giving himself eternal security. No, he pleaded with God to confirm the work of his hands. We should do the same. In success, we should give praise. In failure, we should find contentment in God and the refuge he gives us. In all of our days, we should trust that God is working all things for our good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All these petitions, all these reflections, all of this is simply the beginning of having a heart of wisdom of living our lives in a God-centered way and finding satisfaction in that. So let me just begin to close here. Psalm 90:14 is probably one of the greatest summarizing verses of the whole Bible. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That's, that's what we need. And that's what we will need as long as we are drawing breath. And the key here are these two little words, steadfast love. It's actually just one word in Hebrew. If you've done any of the old CBR training, you've heard this before. But that word in Hebrew is um, a hesed, H-E-S-E-D. Sometimes it's translated into the word mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. It speaks of God's eternal, unbreakable commitment to love his people. Grounded in his being, grounded in his character, grounded in his heart, 
This word speaks of his eternal and absolute reliable love. Despite the reality of God's wrath and judgment, there is still his commitment to love his people. And this is not just critical to the flow of Psalm 90. It's critical to our existence today. I hope you can feel the weight of that this morning, especially after being reminded that your days are numbered. We have all been wrecked by sin in this room. We have all been devastated by sin and God's just judgment. Our lives are short. Our lives are filled with toil and trouble, and we sense that this is the way it's not supposed to be. We live our entire lives under this judge, just judgment of God, with the reality of death always there. And so our desperate cry today is the same as Moses's. Lord, have pity on us. Rescue us. Show us favor today, Lord. Instead of dismaying us, satisfy us. God's steadfast love is the only thing that will cause a people who have been so devastated by sin and by God's just judgment to be rescued and therefore able to rejoice and be glad all the, short, all the days of our short lives. And the expression of God's steadfast love, the demonstration of God's promise to love his people found in Jesus. All of the Old Testament anticipates this. All of the New Testament celebrates this. You can't read verse 14 without thinking about Romans 5. God shows his love for us. God expresses his love for us or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still people under the judgment of God bound to these skin suits, Christ died for us. God's steadfast love is found in his incarnation. It's found in his living a perfectly righteous life for us in our place. And it's found in his death on the cross, dying in our place. Swallowing up the judgment of death so that those who run to him and trust in him, their lives are no longer defined by being under God's judgment. This is the good news for us today. God's judgment on us poured out on Christ in our place. God's mercy shown to a cynical and disaffected people. No longer under the sentence of death, we have life. Friends, Jesus is what we need. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus, the steadfast love of God, the eternal kindness of God for his people has come to us. And it is the ground that we stand on to say with Moses, both as individuals and as a local gathering of believers in 2022, let the favor of the Lord be upon us. 
and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Redemption Hill. I know all too well that life is hard. But don't lose heart. Even in this life with all of its uncertainties, all of its ambiguities, all of its frustrations, all of its cancers and COVIDs, in this short life with all of its struggles, we can have real joy. We can have real gladness however long we may live because the steadfast love of God has been poured out on our lives in and through Jesus Christ our Savior, and the giver of everlasting life. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you that in Jesus, your favor has been revealed. Help us to reflect on that today, to reflect on your goodness and not our sin. Father, I ask that you would reveal your favor to many in this room today for the first time. Help them to consider both your righteous wrath and the steadfast love demonstrated in your son, Jesus. And Father, give us all pause today as we number our days. As we consider our own mortality and sin. And help us to heed your word to find satisfaction in you, even as we cry out to you for mercy and salvation. We need your favor today. We need to be in right relationship with you today. Help us to know that. Help us to feel your steadfast love for us in Christ. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.